What's the greatest obstacle or challenge facing you on your path to becoming financially free? For most of us, it's the time it takes to even focus on it. We're so busy with our lives that we don't even know where to start. Come join Joey and I and the team in Nashville, Tennessee, August 9th through the 11th, as we break down the different ways that you can become financially free and introduce you to different strategies and speakers who can help you on that first step. You have questions? This event is designed to give you the answers, to take action fast, to turn the decades it's taken us to learn this and turn them into days. Don't hesitate. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash live. And don't forget to use the promo code podcast to get a deep discount. Joey, when you hear the words imperfect action, what comes to mind? Like, like our regular day? I mean, you and I, that, that's like our middle name. <laughs> well, I know that you and I are imperfect. We all are, right? And I know that we take action a lot. But what do you, what do you think about when it says, like, take imperfect action? I think to me, it's just like you can't, you can't be stuck in analysis paralysis and you can't just go after everything that you, that you see. You have to kind of get to figure out what is enough and move and just move forward with it. I love that. And you were taking words right out of my mouth. I didn't even tell you about this ahead of time, but I, I heard this quote that Colin Powell had, it was the, the 40, 70 rule. And it's exactly what you just said. He needed at least 40% of the information in order to have enough data to make a decision. But he said no more than 70%, because if he waited till after he got 70%, the opportunity had passed. Mm. And so that to me defines what imperfect action is, right? As investors, sometimes we get really scared that we're going to make a bad decision and we want to have the perfect information. We want to have all of it. We want to have 150%. And you've, if you're, if you're one of those nodding your head right now, you know, you know how many deals that you've missed because you were waiting on the perfect thing to happen. But on the other side of that, you might be more like me who is like first shiny object, like, yes, right? And jump right in. And then you're like, crap, <laughs> later, right? Because you haven't had enough data to really define what that decision needed to look like. I think that that's a great example leading in today's podcast, Joey. We interview the passive income attorney, Seth Bradley. If you haven't listened to his podcast, totally encourage you to do that. Man is full of knowledge. He has legal background that has has showed him a path to how people who are successful are doing deals, which then just gave him the the insight and intuition to say, man, can I do this too? Exactly. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, what I resonated the most from his story, Russ, and I think, you know, many of you listening would would agree that we grew up with this mindset is like a, he called it the blue collar mindset that I just need to trade time for money and I need to do it at a high level. So his, in his mind, it was, well, what, who makes the most money per hour? That's what I want to be. And so he goes down this path of medicine and that doesn't work out. He goes into the legal space and he starts to see that maybe that, that idea is flawed and there's a better way. And, you know, you know, my story, Russ, I was in the same boat in, thinking that the income that we create is the most, that's what financial success is. And, and lo and behold, 
passive income is what creates the freedom that we all really desire. So it's so cool to see how we, we both came to that same conclusion. Well, and I, I would ask you this question as you're riding down the road. Think about this to yourself. If I was financially free, what would that allow me to do? And if you're not doing that, whatever that thing is right now, are you willing to take imperfect action to get there? Is it so important to you that you're willing to take the steps needed to accomplish it? And I I hope that this podcast and others that we have will be an encouragement to you to take that next step. We, we say it all the time, Joey, that we have three steps to financial freedom. There's actually going to be a book written on this whole subject, right? The, the right. first step is having a clear goal. The second is developing a plan. And the third is being supported. And we, we want to invite you into that journey. If you're not already a member of our community, you need to take action. You can go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport. Not only get into the community, which is the support piece, but more importantly, you could take the first step, go to the course section and click on the Passport course, which is free, and come out with a crystal clear vision that will help you start on the pathway so that you can take action to being and doing the things that you want to do when you're financially free. So, Joey, let's go steal any more time from this interview with Seth Bradley. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome to the show, guys. You are in for a treat. Uh, One of our very like-minded brothers from the West Coast, Seth Bradley, is joining us today. Seth, welcome to the show, man. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks so much. Man, Seth, we're excited to have you. It's just like we're we're exactly what Joey said. We're, we're brothers from another mother because <laughs> listening to you tell us about all the different things that you've been investing in <laughs> makes me think a lot of myself. And Joey says, I always think about myself, but this is definitely one of the situations where you're cooler, much better dress, much better hair, and hopefully can, can bri- provide more value than I can. So, Seth, for those who have not been listening to the Passive Income Attorney podcast and don't know your backstory, give us the, the two-minute version. Sure, sure. Thanks for the, the great intro, guys. Uh, so, <laughs> so I grew up in a blue-collar family in West Virginia. You know, my dad's a, a retired coal miner. My mom's a retired school teacher. And, you know, that was just the hard work, the work ethic that was just instilled in me from the beginning. And it's a double-edged sword though. Um, you got the work ethic. Um, I knew what it was like to, to trade time for money and that's all I knew. So growing up, all I wanted to do was get the best job possible. Um, so to me, that was to be a doctor. Uh, that's just what I had in mind. So I went to, went to medical school for a year and a couple of weeks into that. Absolutely hated it. Knew it wasn't for me. Uh, into my second year, I got up in the middle of class and, and literally just walked out, and that was it. Um, then I, <laughs> and I, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I still had that, you know, that that blue collar background, still trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's the next best job I can get. Um, in the meantime, while I was trying to figure that out, I, I got my MBA. I, I knew, you know, I, education was important. That was instilled in me for sure. Um, so I just continued my education, 
uh, got my MBA. While I was getting my MBA, I, I decided that the next best job that I could get was become a lawyer. Not sure what I was thinking there either, but went ahead and went to law school, did really well there, um, kind of went down that traditional pathway, um, got a big law firm job straight out of uh, law school, um, did that for six years. Uh, but in the meantime, I started investing in real estate and that's where my entrepreneurship journey really began. All right, so hold on one second. What was it that, did your mindset change at that point or was it more like, all right, I'm making more money and I need to do something with it, so I might as well buy real estate? I, I, I don't think I had that mindset change right off the bat. I think okay. right off the bat, it was more like, okay, I'm making some money. I never really did buy into stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and that sort of thing. I just didn't like the idea of I've, I've got to work till I'm 60, 65 years old to you know see the, see the benefits of, of investing in a 401k or a retirement account. Um, so I did start looking at other avenues. And, and to me, real estate really stuck out as that, that one thing. And I was also, I'm also a real estate attorney. So it's all around me. And I knew oh, I saw okay. investors and, and clients that were making money and, and taking down deals. And I'm like, okay, if they're doing it, I can do it. Uh, so I started investing small and in, in single family, you know, buy and hold rentals, fix and flips, even got into a little wholesaling, that sort of thing. Um, so initially, I think it was just kind of an injection of of capital that I had, and then just the you know the awareness that I didn't want to necessarily get caught up in the stock market. Uh, so I I turned to real estate to begin with. So then, where where did it change for you from hey, this is a nice investment to uh, now I'm the passive income attorney for crying out loud? Like that's <laughs> that's not just uh, you know an accidental name. So. Where did that actual transition happen for you? Yeah, I mean, it took a while, man. I, I mean, I think, you know, the first thing was starting to invest in real estate, um, seeing those investments um, start to pay off a little bit. Also seeing that the traditional pathway in law was not for me either. Really seeing like, you know, these, these guys that are in their 60s, 70s, and they're still, <laughs> they're still at the law firm, they're still at the office plugging away. They're there before I get there. They're leaving after I leave. They've got, you know, administrative tasks they've got to handle. They've got to educate young attorneys like myself. You know, they've got to do all this extra stuff, even on top of just billing 3000 hours a year. And I'm just thinking that just doesn't make sense. I mean, if I do everything right, if I don't make any mistakes, if I bring in clients, bring in money to the firm, keep billing all these hours and everything goes perfectly to plan, that's where I'm going to end up. Sure, they're making a ton of money, but at the end of the day, they're still trading their time for dollars. Um, and they're still, you know, th their sole purpose seems to be to be a lawyer at the office. And that just wasn't for me. So I, I think I just started looking at other avenues and, and other ways to, um, you know, invest my money in real estate. You know, you can go a million different ways when you start looking at how to invest in real estate. Well, let's talk about that. Some of the people who are listening right now have never invested in real estate, and they probably think that long-term rentals or maybe apartment complexes are the, the two options that they have. What are some of those areas that you've explored and even invested in? Sure. Um, I started out with just house hacking. I mean, my first property was a, was a duplex, uh, lived in one half, rented out the other, and basically lived mortgage-free, rent-free um with that property um started buying more residential real estate buying holds got into fix and flips um from a distance i did most of those fix and flips from you know three thousand miles away which was ridiculous especially for 
an attorney that's working at a big law firm or, you know, put yourself in those shoes. If you're a doctor or an engineer or whatever you are, if you have a, a you know, a demanding W-2 job and you're trying to fix and flip properties from 3,000 miles away, trying to manage these, you know, low-level contractors, it's just, it, it's outrageous. It, it's a load uh, to handle with your with your time and your energy. So yeah, I, I've basically done all these different little things, including like wholesaling, um, you know, all the residential stuff. And I just realized that there has to be another way. And even though I was a commercial real estate attorney, I never really thought it was possible to get into, you know, these $50 million deals or these uh, 200 unit apartment complexes, even though they were all around me. I was helping helping these guys take these properties down. Um, but, you know, you kind of get lost in the forest, right? You just don't see that you can do it. Um, and it took me a while to get over that mindset change that, wait a minute, you can do this too. You know, they're doing it, you can do it. So how hard is it to get into that? Like if I've never done a multifamily, which Joey and I, we, we've invested in multifamily through syndications, but we've never been like, oh, let's just go buy an apartment complex and try this out. How hard is it for somebody to get into that? Yeah. I mean, you have to have something of value to offer. I mean, a lot of times you, you know, that's why you Joey's have... out. I get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. At this point, with you. So whether, it, you know, whether it's capital, um, whether it's time or expertise, those are really the three things you can offer. So you've got to start thinking about what, what do you have that you can bring to a deal with partner with people that already have the experience so that you can get in on those deals and get whatever you're missing. If you're missing the money, missing the expertise, um, figure out how you can get yourself into those deals. And for me, it was, I did have a little bit of capital. Um, so I started investing passively first and I do recommend that as the first thing to do. It's easy to get into these deals. Um, they're quality institutional um, institutional quality investments rather than let's say buying a, a fix and flip for $50,000 in Cleveland, which we used to do. Um, you can get into these better quality deals with better quality operators and property managers and, and contractors. Everything's just on a much higher level. Um, so you just need to, and then you can kind of transition your way over to the active side. Once you've seen how the deals work, uh, perhaps you can raise some capital. Maybe you're, maybe you're an attorney and you can do some of the real estate work on the deal. Maybe, um, maybe you have a great network of investors. Again, you can raise some capital, Wh whatever it might be to get your foot in the door. Um, you, you need to figure out how to do that. And then once you get started, you can kind of build that track record, build that experience up and start taking down some deals. Let me, let me ask you this, and this may be a little bit, it's related, but it's a little bit kind of a veering off, but I want to, I want to ask somebody with your background, have you ever seen somebody take, try to take down a deal without that experience of having just been a passive investor and learned the process from somebody else? They've gone out and they've going to like, they're gunslinging. I'm going to go take down this big multifamily, any issues that they have occurred that from either legality or, or otherwise that you've seen in your experience? Yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, you've probably seen it for sure. Many of your listeners probably have as well. There are so many multifamily syndicators out there nowadays because it's just kind of the hot thing to do. Um, and, and there's just so much noise in the space. There are people I see making mistakes all the time, especially when you're raising capital uh, from other people that's where I see a lot of mistakes being made. I mean, there are very stringent SEC rules on how you can raise capital from other people, from passive investors that you have to follow. And 
many of these rules are being broken on a, on a daily basis. And even not only behind the scenes, but also just on social media. I mean, people are just putting, you know, their deals and they're not under the right exemption out on social media and just saying, Hey, come check out my deal. Like, give me your money. Um, you can invest in this real estate deal. Sometimes that's okay. And sometimes it's not. Uh, but I know for a fact that I, I've met a, a number of uh, syndicators that do that and they're not, they're not doing it legally. So here's, I got two questions that came out of that. First, you know, as a, and just an investor, right? I'm listening to the show. I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm just an investor and I do see lots of different syndications out there and I don't know which ones are the right ones. From your opinion, how does an investor navigate through something that really is a foreign language to them to start off with? Is there a basic like ABCs that, that you would encourage people to follow? Yeah, I mean, you really need to, what most people do at the beginning is when they're thinking about investing in a, in a real estate syndication as a passive investor, they, they compare one deal, deal A to deal B, and they look at the projected returns and they say, this deal has better projected returns, I'm going to invest in this one. And that's the wrong thing to do, because what you can do is manipulate those projected returns in your underwriting, and those numbers don't mean a whole lot. Um, you've really got to focus in on who you're investing with. So their track record, what they've done, what properties they own, you know, how long have they been in the space? Are they actually operating the property themselves or are they just a capital raiser? You know, what part of the deal are, are they taking part of? You just really need to, to do your best at doing some due diligence on who you're investing with and who's actually operating the property and what experience they have. I just read this comment. It was so drawing joy. I wanted to share it. I realized that my time is not really mine. It's my company's. Now I have to stop negotiating my time for money and I need to start working to become financially free. That's exactly how I felt when my daughter Adler asked me on the way to school, dad, can you pick me up from school today? And I had to say, no, baby, I have to go to work. That's where I drew the line. In order for you to be clear on the things you need to do and stop doing and to know who you need to become so that you can stop trading time for money, join us right now at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport. Now let's get back to this episode. Well, yeah, I, and I've heard that a lot, that it's a lot of times we're investing in the person, right? There's just a lot mm -hmm. of different deals out there. And if you are trying to navigate the deals that unfortunately, if you don't have any experience, you can't look at those financials and know if they're true, right? Somebody, and lots of major corporations over the years, right? Health South here in Birmingham was one of those kind of companies, Enron out there in Texas, right? You know, WorldCom, lots of companies have made the financials look a lot better than they actually were. So how would we ever know if it's a multifamily? All right, so the second question I had come from, more of this is maybe my interest level because Joey and I, and I think one of the times we were talking off camera one time was about RV parks. And I know that's something, uh, an area of interest that you have. And Joey and I were thinking about starting an RV park, mostly because Joey went bought an RV and we're like, well, I mean, we already know that part of it, right? I mean, you might, if you have an RV, you, you might as well have a park. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, I mean, and there, it's somewhere to park it. Right. It, it seems like a natural fit, right? Like, I mean, you know, it's all about scale here, but in, in something like that. So Joey and I have an interest level, but we don't have experience. So what if, you know, if we're trying to pull this together, give some, give some uh, tips to Joey and I or anybody who's trying to go about raising capital, getting into a new venture like this, 
how would they seek out mentors or consultants or people in the space and make sure that they don't violate some securities guideline that, as you mentioned, start promoting it on Facebook incorrectly? Yeah, I mean, that's that's just it. You need to find somebody to partner with that does have the experience, especially with RV parks. It's a space that I'm, I'm very interested in myself, and we've been underwriting some RV parks. RV parks are interesting because there's not a whole lot of, quote-unquote, experts in the space. There's not a whole lot of people that actually know what they're doing and how to evaluate a park, how to underwrite it, because there's so many different moving parts. With, with multifamily, there's so many people out there, so many people that are interested in it, so many people that, that have done it. RV parks are a little bit different, which I love because it, it's kind of a higher barrier of entry because you can't just get on YouTube and say, how do I run an RV park or how do I, how do I buy an RV park? You're going to get a bunch of stuff about mobile home parks is what you're going to get. Um, it, whereas if you, if you Google how to, how to buy a multifamily apartment building, you're going to get a million hits. Um, so you really need to find somebody in, in the industry to, to partner with, maybe give them a little piece of the equity or just consult with them or maybe just pay them. Um, you know, RV park specific brokers are a good place to look to start. Um, they have a pretty good uh, idea on industry knowledge, maybe not necessarily running a park, but at least being able to underwrite it and, and get those numbers dialed in. What, what about RV parks has you interested in the space? I, I mean, we have our reason, but what, what is it for you? <laughs> yeah, I haven't bought a van yet, but I'm, I'm looking into buying one and then I'll definitely need somewhere to park it. Um, just the returns, man. I mean, the, the multifamily space is, is very crowded. Um, there's a lot of competition. I still believe in the asset class. I mean, it's still, I think, the best commercial real estate asset class, but it's just very competitive. Cap rates are getting compressed. And it's just, it's getting harder and harder to make deals work. And even from the passive investor side, you know, those, those returns are getting compressed too. I'm seeing lower and lower returns, um, projected returns on your money. So I'm looking at what else is out there um, that could give you a better return on your money. And RV parks, again, they definitely give you a better return on your money, better projected returns. There's just more more meat on the bone, and also that higher barrier of entry. If you're looking at it from the active investor side, from getting into the park and operating it, there, if you can figure out a way to get that education and learn how to do it, there's just a, there's a higher barrier of entry. Not everyone's going to flood the market because the information just isn't out there yet. Gotcha. So, and I know we could go deeper on RV parks if you like, but I, I just, for, for those of us, we're all trying to build our own passive income. And it sounds like that was a, a major shift for you in your story. Um, it, has it happened for you that you were able to step out of law completely, or are you now just practicing on your own? What's, what's the current status of that? Yeah. So I'm billing, I work for a large firm right now, um, but I am only billing less than 10 hours a week. And it's really just to have, man, hope they're not listening, but it's really just to access their resources. I mean, you know, it's, it's a it's a global law firm and they have an endless number of uh, resources. I mean, their templates, their forms, things like that, that you can't access on the Internet. You know, I'm not I'm not Googling, you know, for a for a legal form. I've, I've got the best forms in the world to start with. So I, I do bill uh, less than 10 hours a week at, the, at this firm, but I don't need to um, at this point in time. But I'm definitely active at this point, but active in real estate. And then I use some of that active income that I generate from you know, raising capital, operating properties um, to invest passively, either my own deals or other people's deals, invest in crypto, all kinds of stuff. 
Well, clearly, you're, uh, just being an attorney gives you a leg up, right? You can understand the legalese that's written in all of these contracts that Joey and I just sign our name to. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> this is good. You know, I, I know all of us feel that way. And you have a leg up to us uh, in that area. Outside of, you just kind of started to allude to it. What are other things though, that you're investing in? Because I know it's not just real estate deals. It's not RV parks. You, you mentioned there's other things. Talk about what those things are. Yeah, uh, the big thing, the big other thing would be franchises. Um, I love the franchise model, um, especially for, let's say, if you're a busy professional and or maybe you're just not that creative, you know, maybe you just want to find a business in a box that works and you've already got, you know, all the all, you've got the business plan, the marketing, the branding, everything's already figured out. So I've invested in a brand called Burn Bootcamp. My wife and I uh, own two of those right now. We're looking to buy possibly one to three more. We're trying to decide how many more we want at this point. Um, but also, look, uh, I've been meeting with a franchise consultant to look at other franchise opportunities like salon suites or um, you know water mitigation companies. There's so many different things out there um, that you can get involved with. And, and, and again, it's like a business in a box. Like everything's already done for you. You just need to to pick one that's um, pick one that's interesting for you and you can see yourself in and you know that they also vary quite a bit from passive to active. Some are very active, like the burn boot camp that we're involved in. My wife runs that. She's there every single day doing the work. Um, that's very active compared to something like, let's say, salon suites where you're more acting like a commercial landlord and there's not a whole lot, uh, not a whole lot to do once you get once you get the spaces filled out. Well, I was going to ask about that from the franchise standpoint. I do like the, you know, it's already existing, right? You can look at the business model. You can decide whether or not you like the the brand or the product that's being sold. And then you just step in. But I, in my experience, I've seen a lot of owner operators, right? Not a whole lot of just owners. <laughs> yeah. They have to be, they have to be involved. That's, that's interesting that you're seeing that. So have you guys started thinking about how you can implement systems to be able to scale it to where, you can put operators in there and still be able to turn a profit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got to, even before we get into it, maybe we didn't think it through quite as much as we should have. But, you know, once we got into it, we realized it is a very active operation running a gym. Um, and in order to scale, you basically have to buy more units, at least with this one. We're going to have to get to at least three units before we can have an operations manager that we can pay them enough to where they're, invested enough in, in the business to be able to run it in in a, in a way that's similar to the way that we run it. And, and let me ask you this, as far as your vision for all this, it sounds like you went from an active income in law to more of an active income in real estate and this, in these things, and you're, you're constantly building some passive as you're doing it. But what, as you and your wife have kind of thought through maybe your own investor DNA, like who you guys are as investors. Um, what does it look like for you guys five years from now, three years from now, like whatever the future looks like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's more about, you know, I, I'm in full go mode right now as far as active. I mean, I've got the, the time and the energy to do it. So I'm trying to generate as much active income as possible. Um, and then what we do is we just use that to try to put that into more passive things like syndications. Um, those are super passive. Once you get into one of those, it's just quote unquote mailbox money. Um, so th those are great. Um, you just got to, again, make sure that you're investing with the right people. Um, but 
it, things like that, things like, you know, looking at the salon suites model, that is a really super passive uh, business model. Just looking at other ways to invest that active income passively over the long term. I think um, I, I've seen kind of the life cycle of an investor a, a few different times where, you know, somebody's interested in being an, an active uh, operator in a multifamily property. They, they really want to get involved and you tell them, hey, why don't you invest passively first, see if you like it. They end up investing passively a couple of times and then they go to the active side and they have a little bit of success. And then what happens is they always end up cycling back to uh, being a straight passive investor or investing in something that's much more passive, like note investing, things like that. All right. So I, here's the question. And Joey and I love to ask this whenever interviewing people, usually that's coming to work for our company. So this is the first time I had a chance to to use it in our podcast. Okay. So this is, but like in the, you know, if you could have, if you could like design the whole perfect thing, right. Cause you've had experience with everything you went through tremendous amount of school you you saw the med school route you walked out of class there you you went down the the legal route big firm 100 you know that was your income and then you've been transitioning right what what does the perfect situation look like for you perfect situation from starting over <laughs> no well no from an income standpoint like i mean do you see yourself continuing to be an attorney to just keep that that skills sharp and to be able to have access to those sort of things and, and to be able to do that forever? Or do you see yourself being a full-time investor or operator of, of one of the franchises that you're doing? Like, what is that thing for you? Cause I think that's the question a lot of people have is like, I don't know what I want in life, right? I don't know mm -hmm. if I want to be full-time active and then just have all of these passive income streams on the side, or do I want to do the in-between route? Like where I just work part-time in my job that I kind of enjoy and then have the other stuff. Or do I go 100% investor? So, like, I feel like you've you've done two of the potential three options. I'm just curious: Do you want to stay in that role? Assuming your bosses aren't listening, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and and then, or, or do you see that as the most ideal situation? Or are you seeing yourself at some point transition to just full time investor? Yeah, no, I, I plan on being full time investor again. I could probably do it right now, but the resources are are great, and the the time commitment at this point is low. Um, but I can still feel that when I do bill hours, it's heavy. Like it, it's heavy work working for somebody else. At least to me, um, I don't think that's for everyone. But to me, it, it's heavy work. So I'd and I still do legal work, a lot of legal work, but it's on my own deal. So, you know, I'm putting together all the offering, the SEC offering documents. I'm negotiating the purchase and sale agreement. It's not that I don't like the work itself. It's more of kind of the scenario that you put me in it, where I'm completing the work. So if I'm in an office setting or, I, or I'm at a big law firm where I have 50 bosses telling me what to do, that's a heavy scenario for me that I don't want to be in compared to I'm the boss on my own deal, doing the legal work, leading that, leading the team on that, uh, on that front. Um, that's a lot lighter and a lot more enjoyable. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. So Seth, as we're, we're going to have to land the plane here. Um, I'd love to, you've been through a lot of different scenarios as we've mentioned. And for, for someone who's listening, who's saying, man, what would, what would Seth do differently? Right. If you had it to do all over, maybe this is somebody that's a younger person right out of college or something who's listening to the show. What would you what would you recommend or what would you have done differently knowing now what you know? Yeah. Seek advice, seek a mentor or a coach or 
join a mastermind, any of those sort of things where you can gather knowledge and a network um, to kind of help you grow and get to where you want to get faster. I would encourage myself 20 years ago to do the same thing. Um, I know when I was in my 20s, I would I just tried to figure everything out myself. Uh, I'm a pretty smart guy and I'm just like, you know what, I, I got to figure it out. I don't need to talk to you because I, I can figure it out myself. I, I'll, I'll just do it, you know, and but that stunted my growth as an entrepreneur and and, and you know, getting to where I'm at today. Um, you, you just need to seek, don't be humble enough to seek out help and advice and get hire a coach or a mentor. Um, just, just get some help. Well, man, that that's so helpful. And you, you've added a lot of value today, just talking through your story and what you've been up to. I think it's inspiring people to, to see other avenues that are possible. Um, how can people get in touch with you and connect with you outside of the show? Sure. Um, go to passiveincomeattorney.com. Um, you can access the podcast there. You can access some some free content. Uh, reach out to me on on all social media. I'm very active on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can just look up Seth Bradley. You'll find me. Um, and I also have a a download a download at attorneybydesign.com. You guys can check out. Awesome. Awesome. And thanks again for being on the show. And uh, thank you for listening in each and every week. Um, I hope you got value from today's episode. If you did, please like, share, review so that others can find the same value that you are finding. Uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.